Well, all right. Well, welcome friends in the room, friends in Fort Worth and in Houston and El Paso and Austin and Corsicana, Tulsa, wherever, and this guy back here in the front row. Hey, really quick announcement before we jump into what we're going to do tonight. We wanted to make sure everybody's joining us. This is the last kind of corporate gathering we're going to have in 2018. Say it ain't so. But because of that, we wanted to make sure that we gave one more uh, just opportunity for you guys to find out about this thing we're doing called Awaken, which is a conference over Memorial Day weekend where thousands of young adults are going to come together and gather, and we hope it is a launching pad for what God uh, is going to start in our nation, a revival of sorts. We believe that this generation is uh, the uh, group that God is going to use to do something transformative to this society that we live in. And we believe that when we lock arms underneath the name of Christ, we can be a part of it. And candidly, we want to see what God is doing here in spite of us really take place all over the country and all over our world for his name and for people to not come to the porch, but people to come to Jesus and come to meet him. So because of that, I uh, wanted to have uh, my friend Garrett, who's going to join us and let you guys know about an opportunity in light of the fact that we think it's, we believe it's going to sell out. We want everyone who God wants to be there to be there. And we know that the people inside of this room are connected to and are some of the people that we want to partner with and gather with. And he wants to let you guys know, we want you guys to know about an opportunity before this year is out. And so Garrett, take it from there. Hey, if you want a, an idea of what the moment of Awaken is going to be like, you can imagine three days, Memorial Day weekend, 2019, downtown Dallas, um, really close to some of you here in the room, might be a plane flight or a long road trip for some of you that are um, listening from elsewhere. But you can imagine Porch on Steroids, three days, some of the best communicators and leaders that you know and love, JP, Todd, David, DeShanes, and the best lineup we have ever put together that we are not going to announce just yet. I'm sorry about that. We're holding you in suspense. But it is going to be um, what we believe is going to be the most definitive moment in porch history. Um, I don't know if you know the narrative uh, of the porch, but it began over a decade ago with dozens of people. And now you, you look around or you listen in and uh, you pay attention and you can kind of notice what God has done here, which, by the way, is nothing but an extension of the church Jesus created 2,000 years ago. We get to play one little small part. And Awaken Conference is us opening our arms wide to get more people together. We used to do a three-day holiday weekend retreat, and we shut that one down because there wasn't enough room, not only for the people elsewhere, but even for right here in Dallas. So that's what's gonna happen. Um, and you just gotta know one thing. For us, it's not just about the moment. It's about the movement. It's not just about coming together as a big church for a big meeting. This is about a big cause, that a big God is inviting us into his purpose for our lives. The greatest cause, the greatest claim that anyone would ever have on our lives is the purpose and the fame of Jesus Christ. So I'm sorry, I'm not gonna preach this. It's your turn tonight. But uh, so uh, here's what you can do. Between now and the end of the year, here's what we're gonna do. We've had people ask a little bit about gear. If you want some free gear, here's all you gotta do. Uh, when you sign up anytime between now and the end of the year, as soon as you complete your ticket purchase, you're gonna get a unique link. It's gonna be a pop-up and a follow-up email. This is not that pop-up you X out of. This is the one you wanna click on. You get your link, you share that with friends, and if just one friend um, signs up through your link, um, then we are gonna mail you this swag box in the mail, T-shirt, the one David is rocking right here, and some of these other guys are gonna be wearing. We're gonna mail that to you. That's how you get it. Not um, this one. Not this exact one. Not that exact one. one. Yeah, you're wearing it well, though. Thank I'm you. I'm sure some people would want that. But uh, anyway, not I. So uh, here's the deal. Don't make me tell these people you modeled up. <laughs> oh, too late. Too late. Hey, we gotta land this plane. So here's the deal. Uh, between now and the end of the year, uh, you'll get the link. That's how you do it. Couple things, if you've already signed up, don't worry, we emailed you uh, so you can get in on this. So there's an email waiting for you um, there. So Merry Christmas from Awaken Conference. We'll see you guys in May. I love it. Hey, well tonight we're gonna have a fun chance to talk about how to survive the holidays. We're coming fresh off of Thanksgiving break. We're headed in towards Christmas and how to avoid some of the pitfalls of just the Christmas break and make sure that your faith doesn't take a holiday over the holidays. And so that's what we're gonna dive in for the next 30, 35 minutes or so. And look who it is. You guys give it up for Jonathan McClurda. How we doing, Porsche? Hey, I'm just gonna follow that up and say, listen, you don't wanna miss that. I've, I've sat on this stage dozens of times and I've talked to people and I said, hey, you don't wanna miss this, you don't wanna miss this, you don't wanna miss this. Then they come crying to me and say, hey, I'm sorry that I didn't listen to you, awaken.live. It's gonna be the things that people are talking about for generation to come, all right? Hey, I'm pumped to take, to, to start these, uh, these little messages this evening, there's gonna be three of them, but this first one is sometimes uh, we have all of these expectations around Christmas and things don't quite go as planned. And so this happened to me last year, all right? I'm a dad, I've got three kids, and uh, I was wrestling with what to get them for Christmas. 
And I said I was going to go big. I saw the, the Lexus commercials, the Hallmark commercials, and, uh, and I, not the Lexus, but the puppy in the commercials. And I thought, I'm going to get them a puppy. Now, this was a big deal because my wife and I, we have argued about this topic of pets for 14 years, okay, because we just disagree. We view them differently, right? Like, I view them as, as pets, and she views them as people. And so we just, we don't see eye to eye on that. But you know what? I said, I'm going to do it. I, my, my little girl wants a puppy. Well, like, I'm just going to make it happen. And I had this huge plan of the grand reveal being here at Watermark at the Christmas party. And uh, we went and we picked out this fluffy little labradoodle thing and, and got the box and it had the big bow on it and everything. And we kept the puppy in here for just the right moment at the Christmas party with kids out there. It was going to be the grand unveil. And, and I had friends with video cameras and taking pictures because it was going to go mega viral on Instagram. This, this, and so I actually, I'm going to show you the video, all right? I want you, here, here's the video. I didn't stop it right there. Here's what happened. The person who was filming stopped filming because when they opened the, the box and they saw what was inside, they completely panicked, as did everyone else. Somehow, from, the, from moving that puppy from there to the fireplace in that box, it managed to get the bow completely wrapped around its neck so tight that when they opened the box, it was strangling the puppy nearly to death, okay? And so we started Christmas with an almost dead puppy, all right? And so there were lots of tears that followed that moment, lots of trauma. I've got two children in counseling because of it, okay? <laughs> this, this did not go as planned. And in the same way that that bow, in the same way that that bow nearly choked out that puppy, your expectations around the holidays may choke out Christmas. And so I want to talk about that for just a moment. Three things that will bound you up over the holidays. And you can think about what these are, right? Some of you expect or hope to be snuggled up uh, with someone near a fire, but you found yourself in a season of loneliness. Or, or some of you are hoping for a particular gift, but all of your friends and your family aren't getting the hints that you're not so subtly dropping. Uh, some of you are thinking about running into your ex in Walmart and reminding them how successful you are or that you're a pastor or that you've written a book. No, never mind. Um, uh, you, you know that your mom and dad, this holiday, when you go home, you know they're going to be boozing it up, right? And, and you're thinking about that already, how you're going to navigate that. Or you know you're going to run into your old friends and they're going to get thrown on New Year's. And you're already thinking about that. Those are where your expectations are going. And so let's talk about three things, three expectations that will have you bound this holiday. The first one is busyness. Number one, busyness. We expect to be busy. Tis the season to panic and stress and travel and, and the parties and the Christmas parties, the New Year's parties, the families in town, and you're trying to balance it all or the stress of thinking about being alone, not missing out, wanting to be everywhere at once and, and staying by yourself is just a traumatic thought, and I would say, what if you adjusted your expectations that right now you are going to find some quiet space this holiday, this Christmas, that you actually were going to plan on it, that when it happens, you don't have to panic, but you've planned for it because you believe this could honor God. See, busy, I've heard, is an acronym, being under Satan's yoke. 
being under Satan's yoke. Yoke is a strange word. Yoke is something that you put around an animal so that you have an ability to control it. It's something you bound an animal with. But let me read to you what Jesus says in Matthew 11, verses 28 and 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another thing that's gonna have you bound this holiday are your old friends. You're gonna go back to some of the same places and the same spaces that you've been to and you're gonna bump into some of the same people. And what I know is true of everyone listening here in Dallas and wherever you're at through the stream is that everyone here has a past. And when you go home for the holidays, a lot of times that past is waiting on you. And you drive by those familiar places and you know like I got in a fight right there and oh I remember we got high right there and that one time we stole those bottles of wine from that store and then went over there and got drunk. Oh, I actually got arrested over there. And when you're driving through those familiar places, we made out behind that, right? Those memories are gonna be flooding back at you, right? You know where the porn stash is. You know where the sin is waiting for you. And those old friends, they wanna pick right back up where you left off. You know those old friends, they're telling the same stories over and over. Remember when we, and it's followed by a lot of laughter. You're laughing. You know what you're doing? You're laughing. It's so hilarious. Oh, yeah, I remember. We can't believe. And, and all the while, you're laughing at the very things that Christ died for. Reliving those stories that have caused scars that you still have today. And I will just tell you that if you cannot influence those friends for Christ, then they will influence you for Satan. I know that feels heavy-handed, and I'm going to say it again. If you, if you don't influence them for Christ, they're going to influence you for Satan. And so you need to think about what it looks like to be intentional with those friends or to not have any contact with them at all, which may be exactly what you need to do. And so what you can expect is expect to tell them how you've changed, that it's no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. There's a story about St. Augustine. That when he, he had this radical conversion, uh, he lived, you know, in the world and Jesus grabbed a hold of his heart. And one day when he, he was walking and he bumped into an old mistress of his. And when he saw her, he began to walk quickly the other direction, but she tried to stop him. Augustine, Augustine, it is I. Augustine, it is I. And he stopped and he turned back to her and he said, yes, madam but it is no longer I. And he kept going. And some of you, that's the message that you need to give your friends. Hey, I've changed. I'm not the same old person. I don't delight in those stories anymore. I remember them, but they're no longer, that's no longer how I have fun. That's no longer what I do. I'm a new creation. The third thing that will have you bound this holiday is wine. Wine is what is called in the scriptures alcohol, right? We expect to party this holiday. We expect to party at New Year's. But Ephesians 5.18 says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Amen. We all know that. It leads to debauchery. When you get drunk on wine, it leads to debauchery. It, it only leads to one. It doesn't, the scripture doesn't give you a lot of options. There's wine, you get drunk, it leads to debauchery. That's what it does. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You also have instruction uh, in Proverbs 20, in, in chapter 23, in chapter 31. Over and over, the scriptures warn us about this. And for so many Christians, Christmas and New Year's means party. It's almost like the purge or Fat Tuesday. It's like that season where, you know, we, we know we're not supposed to, but we're just going to do it anyway. We're just going to give our flesh permission to indulge. And it's crazy because it's like the thing when it's the time when Jesus came to the earth and the way that we celebrate the birth of our Savior is by getting wasted. And some of you, you're walking into extreme temptation, and you know it. And I want you to know, because I just want this to be really clear, so that you don't have to wrestle with it. For the rest of your life, from this moment forward, for the rest of your life, until you are with Jesus, you getting drunk will be a sin. 
You don't have to wonder. Like you getting drunk, it's a sin. Let's just call it what it is. It's a sin. It grieves the heart of God. And so I'm not a pastor that's like, hey, you can't drink any alcohol, that that's wrong. You having a glass of wine, it may not be a sin for you. You having two glasses of wine, it may be a sin for you. You having a beer, it may not be a sin for you. If that's not your struggle, if you're not tempted to have two or three or four, but you having two or three or four, let's call it what it is. Let's just look at that and say, oh yeah, that's a sin. I just willfully chose to go the opposite way of what the scripture said. That's what I did. Let's call it what it is. And it's always going to bring bondage. No good story in your life starts. Remember when we got so drunk? Whatever comes next is not going to Remember when we got so drunk and we experienced that deep intimacy with Jesus? No, it's never, it's never going to be that. Remember, remember when we got wasted and we grew so much spiritually? No, no, no. Remember when, remember when we were so wasted that we gave all our money to the orphans? No, that's not, gonna, that's not the way that that works out. Maybe to the bartender, but not the orphans, right? And so this Christmas, expect to stay sober. I know that, that, that literally some of you have literally been enslaved by this. Like, like several of you, dozens of you have been through rehab. All while the enemy just delights in, in the way that we celebrate Christmas. And so things that will entangle you over this holidays, things that will have you tied up, busyness, old friends, and wine. Uh, it spells bow, like the very one that strangled my puppy. All right. He, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says this. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Let us throw off everything that entangles us and the sin that hinders us and let us fix our eyes on the one who came to the earth to save us. What's interesting about the word bow is it's a homograph. It is a word that can be pronounced two different ways with two very different meanings. It's also how you spell bow. And bow is what you want to do this holiday, this Christmas. Bow is what you want to do with your life. If you want to avoid the sin that so easily entangles you, you maintain a posturing of the very ones who first walked up upon the baby in a manger, that their knees broke, their back bent, their face to the ground, and they worshiped him. You live a life of worship. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He says, therefore, I urge you in view of God's mercy to present your bodies as living sacrifices. So you bow before the Savior. I know for some of you, you hear that and you feel like it's too late. And you're like, what do I do if it's too late? And that's why my friend Daniel Crawford is, is going to come up and, and share with you exactly what you need to do uh, if it's if it's too late. And so please welcome Daniel to the stage. Lower this down a little bit. I remember it clearly. I was driving home. It was a holiday break. I was cruising down I-45 going to Houston and I heard that sound. And if you know that sound, I realized Darn it, something has gone wrong with my automobile. I must check, I must pull over. And I looked and sure enough, I had blown a tire and I had a flat tire. And so in the grand scheme of malfunctions, not the biggest deal in the world. I can overcome this so long as I know how to properly change a tire. I don't know how to properly change a tire. And so I was by myself. And so frankly, I was kind of out of luck and I was kind of figuring out what do I do next? I was feeling rather deflated literally and metaphorically. And so I start with that for exactly what JP just said, which is, man, I'm just rolling off 
of Thanksgiving, which kind of kickstarts the holiday season, and I'm not feeling like I'm firing on all cylinders. Like if that's any indicator of what I'm going to be looking at in December, I'm not encouraged. I'm discouraged. And so this second little mini message is going to be about what do I do when I've blown it? What do I do when I've blown it? So I admitted to you freely that I don't necessarily have a man card, at least not in that situation. I'm not handy. But I do have something that in that situation is of equal value. And so that's what I like to call a triple A card. <laughs> Praise God, yes. And so I can call triple A when I don't know how to change my own tire, even though I'm a grown man, and they will come and they will help me. And so I want to give you guys three A's. That's right, your very own triple A plan to call upon when you've blown it and when you're feeling flat. And so I'm actually going to unpack very practically the exact passage that JP just closed with, which is in Hebrews 12. And so starting at the top in verse 1, the first A is going to be accountability. Accountability. And very simply, I would say confess to community. When you've blown it, keep short accounts and confess to your community. That verse started by saying, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... That's what it's talking about. Who are? It assumes that there is a great cloud of witnesses, that there are people surrounding you to love you, to support you, to point you back to the truth that's found in God's word so that ultimately they can point you back to Jesus. I would also say that I would encourage you guys to get to a point where you're confessing even at a thought level, even in the moments of temptation where maybe you haven't blown it I would get on the phone. I would loop in your crew, your guys, your girls. Hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm feeling very tempted right now. Will you pray for me? James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And if you're like me, when I'm feeling in those moments, when, I, when I've blown it, I want healing. And so that starts with confession. It starts with prayer. It starts with community. It starts with accountability. And so that verse continued, verse one. Surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So JP hit that hard. What are the things that we need to avoid, that we need to remove access from? The second A is access. Repent and remove access for whatever those things are that are hindering, hindering you, that are causing you to blow it and to feel deflated. And so he talked about alcohol. I would include drugs in there. Yes, I would consider weed a drug. Okay, and so the question comes along, can I not go anywhere where there's alcohol? And I would just say, maybe. I would say you would probably know better than me. I would say I wouldn't rule it out. And I would also say that personally, if, if I'm like on a diet, like I'm trying to keep my, my boyish figure here, and I'm throwing some, I'm going keto on you. I don't even fully know what that is yet, but I've heard it's a thing. If I hypothetically wanted to go keto, which I don't, I'm probably not gonna go hang out at Cane's and watch people eat fried chicken all day because it's delicious. And I've been there so many times. And as soon as I see the sauce, I start salivating. I don't wanna talk about it even right now. And so I would rather just avoid the temptation. I would just dodge. I would endure the night with a little bit of FOMO instead of the morning with a whole lot of uh-oh, if you know what I'm talking about. And there is that strong correlation between when I'm not, when I'm under the influence, I'm gonna do things that I'm, I'm gonna regret. I'm, gonna, I'm going to make mistakes. And so JP also talked about old friends and I might just add old flames. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, being mindful, not just of the, the party atmosphere, but also of the guest list. And I think he said that really well, which is, man, what is that balance between loving my friends and also just being wise? And I would say, I would encourage you to just set the tone with that and to stay in the driver's seat. I would literally drive wherever you're going so that you have that ability to control. I would also say, I think breakfast and lunch is your friend way more than dinner and drinks. 
And I would say, I think he hit on something that's huge. That is, if the main bond you share with these old friends is stories from the past, and it's a past that you're not particularly proud of and that you've been redeemed out of, you can take a walk down memory lane as you connect with people, but I would not stop and I would not celebrate sin. And I wouldn't relive that over and over again. I, I don't think that's helpful. So just a couple of facts. I am, I am responsible for every bad decision that I make, period. And I seem to make a lot more bad decisions around certain people or certain groups of people. And so do with that what you will. I would just be thoughtful before you commit to things and I would be willing to say no. I'd be willing to say no. And so there's dozens of other things you could remove access from. The one other one that I'll hit quickly is social media. And I would just say this, man, maybe you need to remove access entirely or at least maybe you need to significantly reduce the amount of screen time because you know how it is. Uh, if I don't have a ton else to do, I can very easily get to scrolling, right, for countless periods of time. Right? Do I find myself comparing or envying or judging other people's social media accounts? Am I kind of sort of monitoring whether a certain someone may or may not be here, may or may not be going there tonight? I don't know. Do you use social media to project things, especially over the holidays, that maybe if you're totally honest with yourself, mask some insecurities and communicate something that you know at best is an exaggeration and at worst is just blatantly untrue? Are you playing the game, the comparison trap? Are you getting caught in it? And ultimately, do my accounts, do they help or do they hinder my thought life? I would ask yourself that question. I would ask your community that question. And bottom line, as you throw off the sin that entangles you, just ask yourself, what are the things I need to remove access from? And so lastly and most importantly, the third A in our little triple A plan is to abide. To pursue and to protect your personal connection with Jesus Christ. It says, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, throw off the sin that entangles and then let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you're going to blow it. That's what he's saying. And so what does abiding look like? You can get to a point where, where there's just a life of abiding with Christ on an ongoing basis. I would say I would have a plan in place. I think structure can be helpful. And so a little strategy that I've picked up that I would pass along and commend to you is I would think through three things. I would have a time, I would have a place, and I would have a plan, a time, a place, and a plan. A time, any time, really, but what time of the day are you going to have the most control over and the most say over? Most of the time, that's gonna be in the mornings. And so before I even leave my room, do I wanna set aside and devote some time to connecting with Jesus before I charge into all of the day's festivities or whatever? Okay, so time. I would be as specific as you can be and I would also be realistic. And so it's the breaks and maybe it's 9 a.m. instead of 7 a.m. I don't know. Be flexible, but have a plan and have a time, a place. Where is the place where I can minimize distractions and therefore maximize devotion? And so that may not be in your bedroom if Uncle Eddie's riding top bunk right above you, right? You may need to go get some personal space. I would communicate, I would love your family well and communicate on that, but it's like, hey, I'm gonna be at Starbucks for an hour and then I'm gonna be back and I'm excited to spend the day with you guys digging in and catching up. And then finally, a plan. I would figure out now or at least start to think about what do you want to read through? What do you want to meditate on? What in God's word do you wanna work through over the break? Again, be specific as you can be and also be realistic. For most of us, I think reading a chapter a day is very realistic. So I wouldn't just do Bible roulette and pick a verse and start reading, right? I would say, okay, there's 31 days in December. There's 31 Proverbs. What if I just read the proverb that corresponded with whatever day that is and meditated on that? There's 24 chapters in Luke. There's 24 days leading up to Christmas. What if I walked through a gospel leading up 
to celebrating Christmas. January, we're not gonna be back in here till the 22nd. What if I read, what if I do January and John? 21 chapters, days one through 21, and then we hit it hard in here on the 22nd. What if I did that? There's no wrong approach, but I would have a time, a place, and a plan. And the last thing I would say on this is this particularly can be hard when we're in the situation we're talking about, which is, man, I just blew it. Like, I am not proud of the decisions that I made last night. And frankly, I feel guilt. I feel shame. I don't feel like I can approach the creator of the heavens and the earth based on what I've just done. And I would just say, be free of that. I would say that scripture is very clear that there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. Conviction is of the spirit. If you are a believer and you have the spirit of God, he's gonna convict you. That's a good thing. It's not fun, but it's a reminder, man, I can't just go back and indulge my flesh in the same ways I used to. So I'm gonna use that conviction to follow the Lord and to repent as we've been saying. But condemnation, Romans 8.1 just lays it out. It says there is there now for no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you are in Christ, if you are a believer and a follower of Christ, there is no condemnation. So you can pick your head up and you can pursue the one who has pursued you. And so grace to you, abide with Christ. Don't let your time off from work become time off from God's word. When you've blown it, pick yourself back up, fix your eyes on Jesus and keep running the race that he's marked out for you. And so in summary, our AAA plan, utilize accountability, remove access from the things that are harming you and abide with Christ every day. On the side of that road, I, uh, I had to humbly admit that, that I was in an entirely helpless situation. Uh, I couldn't do anything to fix and to remedy the situation that I found myself in. And so when I blew it, I needed to call on somebody else. I needed somebody to come to me and to meet me in the midst of my mess. And guys, that is the Christmas story. That is exactly what we celebrate this time of year is the fact that we all have blown it. We all are helpless to fix and remedy our own situation. So God sent his very own son to the earth. He put on flesh and he dwelt among us and his name is Jesus Christ. We get to celebrate his coming here in the next month. And so may we call upon him whenever we've blown it in this season and in every season. And so to close out the night, y'all help me give a warm welcome to my buddy, David Marvin. All right. Hey, anyone dating in this room? Show of hands. Good, there's three of you. Hopefully you know. And uh, let's do another meet and greet to give you guys a chance to meet each other. Good grief, people. Guys, ask some of these girls out. Uh, uh, hey, when I was dating 10 years ago, uh, I was dating my wife, and, and one of the decisions that the three of you... <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> For real. This has got to change. Um, that if you are dating, you are going to have to go through over the holiday season is the evaluation of, hey, is this person someone that I would like to introduce to my family? Am I ready to expose them to the dysfunction that I uh, have known so well and for so long? And, and really, it's almost one of those moments, at least for me, I remember 10 years ago was when my wife came and met my family. And if your family's anything like mine, where it's kind of like, oh, buckle up. Uh, it's like, can this relationship... Uh, endure what they're about to experience here. Let's make sure we've formed strong enough bonds to where we can be in it together. And if you're dating, you're going to experience that to, uh, to whatever degree you may have dysfunction in your family, which let's be honest, everyone has dysfunction inside of their family. One of the biggest pitfalls that a lot of us can fall into over the holiday breaks is how to not grow discouraged, frustrated by just the dysfunction that you're going to be around in your family. And not just that, but how to uh, be everything that God wants you to be during the time, during the meals that you're going to share, during just the time that you'll have over Christmas break, or maybe you just had over Thanksgiving with family members and all the dysfunction that they represent. So I don't know where your story is. I don't know if, if when you go home, there's your stepbrother who never moved out of the house, still playing video games up there, or your stepmom who's like taking smoke breaks outside every 30 minutes, or your grandma who's like... Um, 
do you want to get married someday? Are you, <laughs> do you know any girls? Or your passive-aggressive parents who are like, so are you thinking about getting a real job soon? Um, or just anything and everything in between. Or, or maybe you've got like the, I feel like there's always one of these in every family. There's the super politically passionate sibling that's either like, build the wall! Or like, tear all the walls down! And, and, uh, and there's just all the craziness that comes with family. Or, or <laughs> this is actually true. Or you have like an aunt. This is just me getting stuff off my chest. Who is... <clears throat> Like, uh, they, make, they, they make art out of recyclables, and, uh, and they, are, they make their own Christmas gifts to give out to people. You're like, I know what I'm getting this year for Christmas. I don't know what your family dysfunction is all across the board, or just sibling rivalry and conflict that you have, where you get back there, and they bring up that one time you cut off their hair, or part of it, in sixth grade. And you snap back into, like, I'm the 16-year-old middle child, and you always do this kind of thing. And just the dysfunction that can be a part of our family. Often what usually happens is that, that same dysfunction and, um, and even more serious levels of dysfunction cause us to keep our distance or want to keep our distance from family. And yet when you look at the story of the Bible and you look at the call on us as Christians, the command that God gives us is that that is not to be the case. So what I want to talk about is look at the story, really, of the um, initial words of the book of Matthew, where Matthew lays out Jesus' introduction to his Jewish audience. And he begins to talk about Jesus' dysfunctional family. Because inside of that, uh, we're going to learn just a a couple truths about how you and I um, can learn about the way that Jesus not just had a dysfunctional family, but responded and um, move towards that dysfunction that was represented inside of his family. So in Matthew chapter 1, it'll be up on the screens. This will be really the last thing we'll talk about tonight, but here's what you need to know. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew writes this book, Matthew, to a Jewish audience. And he begins to write out why Jesus is the Messiah. That's what the book of Matthew, Jewish audience, and he writes out. And he begins to write the lineage, which was very important um, at that time, really to, to uh, just the Jewish people, but in general at that time. Here's what normally when people wrote a lineage they would do. They would include kind of the best of the best, the who's who, and here he was related to, you know, uh, Caesar and all the different famous people that were part of their family. And they would often, if you study history, they would omit some of the, and that guy never existed. And they would skip different people. And they almost every single time, without exception, just because it was a different day and age, they didn't include women. It was almost strictly men because the family line and family name kind of just passed through. But Matthew does something very, very different when you read his lineage that he says, hey, this is the lineage of Jesus. This is the family that Jesus came from. And he not only includes um, people that you would think, why would you include this person inside of here? He goes out of his way to include some of the worst uh, members of Jesus' lineage. He goes out of his way to include women inside of the story, which was really unheard of in that day, and not just any women. Out of these four women, uh, three of them weren't even Jewish. And two of them had uh, stories that you just like, hey, if you're going to mention anybody, you don't mention her. And Matthew goes out of his way to show that Jesus and the dysfunction that his family is from. So let me read just from these verses in Matthew chapter 1, and we'll see what I'm talking about, where he says this. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob, but Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Okay, so everyone that's reading this, if you're Matthew's audience at that time, you just read about the story of Judah and Tamar. You probably haven't read the story of Judah and Tamar recently, but it's a story that honestly uh, would be like an explicit message if we devoted it to it, uh, a, a sermon on a Tuesday night at the porch. Judah ended up sleeping with, accidentally, his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And they have two twin little baby boys, Perez and Zerah. And, this, and, and if you're like, oh, man, that could have been an innocent mistake, here's why he accidentally slept with her, because she was posing as a prostitute. So it's not exactly the most exonerating defense. Ah, she was acting like a prostitute. That makes sense. That's the person that God says is going to be one of the great, 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 great grandparents of Jesus. Why would you go out of your way, even if this person's in the ancestry, to include them? He didn't have to. And he includes this woman with a story. Because as we're about to see, that's the point of the story Matthew's about to write. He continues, and he goes on from there, where he says, 
uh, that Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. What a great name is Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab. Uh, <laughs> Dab, the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother, look at this, was Rahab. If you were raised in church, you know who Rahab was. Because Rahab had a nickname that came at the end of her name. Rahab the prostitute. That he doesn't just include another woman in the story. He includes a woman who had an occupation uh, that isn't the most glorious occupation that you could have. And Matthew goes out of his way. If you're going to include it, why would you include this? Like I could make a case. You could see a case where like, hey, you're writing lineage and Mother Teresa's in there. And she's, oh, of course, go out of your way to include that. Or Susan B. Anthony. Just want to make sure you know that's part of the family. The prostitute? Hey, yeah, hey, this is great-great-grandma. She, uh, she sells sex for money. And uh, so here she, I mean, think about that with you and your grandma. Would you be quick to introduce that to your boyfriend or girlfriend? Oh, yeah, this is my grandma. She was a prostitute for a while. And uh, <laughs> that's exactly what he's doing. What are you doing, Matthew? And it doesn't get any better from there. Listen to this. And Jesse, verse 6, was the father of David, of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uriah's wife was Bathsheba. He doesn't even mention Bathsheba. He says it in a different way, almost to make sure you know the story of David and Bathsheba. And you may not remember it, the story of David and Bathsheba. Was David was married to several other different women. One day he's out on his palace. He sees this beautiful woman, woman taking a bath on, her, um, on the roof of her house. Not a great idea, ladies, but the story goes on from there. And he says, get that woman, bring her to me. They say, that's Uriah, one of your best friend's wife. He takes her, he sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. And in order to cover it up, he has Uriah killed. And this was the story, or this was uh, one of the men that, uh, and women that when Matthew's writing the story and the lineage of Jesus, he goes out of his way to say, Uriah's wife. When you look inside of the ancestry of the Messiah who's here, you see a very different story than maybe the one you would have imagined. You see that Jesus came from broken people. The story that Jesus did not just come for sinners, he came from sinners. And Matthew goes out of his way. Think about even that language. And Solomon, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Oh yeah, whose mom was the wife of another man until David killed him. And that's the little boy that God says, hey, I'm going to continue the line through you, Solomon. He's making a very clear point. He starts there because these people are the point of the story Matthew's going to write about for the next 28 chapters. That Jesus came from sinners and for sinners. Like you, like me, like Rahab, and like every dysfunctional person in Jesus' family and in your family. If you come from a dysfunctional home, which we all do, take heart because so did Jesus. But also know that you're going to have a chance to love on those dysfunctional people because the story of Christmas, the story of Jesus, is that dysfunction doesn't have to mean distance because of Christmas. Just like Jesus looked at the dysfunction of our world, of you and of me, and he didn't say, I'm going to keep my distance because of that. He moved towards those people. So you and I will have a chance to demonstrate that same type of moving towards dysfunctional people and loving them that Jesus did, to demonstrate what we celebrate at Christmas. And one of the greatest opportunities you're going to have is going to be to love your family. Jesus loves your family. He loves your family way more than you ever will. And he has put you there to be a part of expressing and showing that love. And let me just say this really quickly, and then I'm going to close. Because I'm going to give you three things that I think as it relates to family that you could do. The first one is to see yourself as just having a change in perspective about your time there. A change in perspective. And here it is. You were on a mission trip. You were going on a mission trip. If you're going to spend any time with your family over the holidays, you are officially on a mission trip. And so you have a chance to show the love of Jesus, maybe share your faith. But you are going on a mission trip, just like any mission trip if you've ever been on one. Only you don't have to travel to Haiti, and you're going to go to stay indoors most likely and speak English to people. And uh, it's a mission trip to people who are trying to give you presents. It's the greatest <laughs> mission trip ever. 
but be assured it is a mission trip and you need to change the perspective about the time that you're going to have there if you're a Christian. The second thing is to love the family members that are in your family where they are, exactly where they are. Like don't seek to change them, don't seek to come in because this is really just a big deal. People will leave uh, environments like this and they'll go home and they will weaponize their faith and they will beat people over the head and tell them how they're sinning and they're living wrong and how they need to stop and God's angry about that. Love your family members exactly where they're at. If you're gonna err, you can err on the side of grace, but seek not to change your family, which you couldn't do anyways, but to love them where they're at. Take an interest in them. Ask them questions. Maybe they have a different sexual orientation than the Bible instructs. Love them. Stand outside with them when they're taking their smoke break. Be an example. Love the family and move towards the dysfunction. Embrace the dysfunction. That's what Jesus did. He wasn't like, hey, get your act together and then I'll come. Embrace the dysfunction. And in doing so, you demonstrate what all of us at Christmas are celebrating. The God who moves towards those who are dysfunctional, like me and like you. And finally, that you would seek a chance to share the gospel. One of the easiest ways that you can do this is to just share how God is at work inside of your life. Share how God has been at work and the way that he's growing you. It's not offensive. Seek to move the conversation in a direction that's there. Maybe they are Christians already. They're just not experiencing everything God wants. Invite them to awaken and say, hey, I'd love for you to come with me. We can be a part of it together. And they can see, catch a glimpse maybe of what some of you have seen together. But in conclusion, change your perspective. Love your family as they are. Seek to share the gospel. Christmas is a celebration of the first mission trip. That's what it is. Where God of the universe decided, I will lay aside all of my comfort the eternal heavenly realm, and I will set those things aside, and I will move towards the dysfunctional human race. The first mission trip was initiated. And he came down and was born in a manger to die on a tree for dysfunctional people like you and like me. And he's invited us now to be a part of living on mission and going on mission to our family. Those who know him and those who don't that we'll spend time with. Let me pray. Father, I pray for just the opportunities that we're going to have to share our faith. Would you, Lord, stretch out your hand and save family members like the ones in my family who don't know you? And would you open their eyes to the truth? Would you use the conversations that I'm going to get to have to be a part of that? I pray for friends in the room who have family members, siblings, who have fathers, mothers, um, step-parents that don't know you. Would you stretch out your hand and save them, God? Would you help us to have our first reaction be love? Would we love people just where they are? Care for them. Get to know them. Earn the right to speak in greater ways into their life. Thank you for just the men and women who you've placed in different families all over this country and other countries that are just sitting right in front of me and listening wherever they are gathered right now. You've grabbed many of our hearts. Would you use us to be a part of loving our family? Would we not waste our break and take a holiday from our faith over the holidays? We worship you now in song. Amen. Where David ended reminds me of a story that Philip Yancey tells. Philip Yancey is a a writer, was a journalist, and he talks about having a fish aquarium. And all of the work that goes into making this biosphere, this place of life for these fish, perfect. That he would clean the tank and filter the water and put this aerator in there and then he'd put these pebbles down and and these little statues and places for the fish to live and he would do everything within his power, invest so much of his money and his time and his resources in, in making this place the perfect place for the fish to live. And then he remembers his disappointment. He recalls his disappointment upon his first time walking up to the tank and the fish swimming off and and hiding behind the, the statues and the little things that he put in there. They were afraid of him. And all he wanted was a pet, like he wanted a relationship. And he realized to connect with the fish he would have 
to become one. And this is what happens at Christmas. The Creator God makes this place and He fine-tunes it perfect so that you can live and thrive and have life. He made you to be in a relationship with Him and you've spent your life running away. And He says to, to rightfully have a relationship with them so that they know that they can trust me. I'd have to become a fish. I'd have to become a human. I'd have to enter into their world. And become like one of them. And this is what happens at Christmas. It's the greatest mission trip that ever happened. God leaving his place of perfection. Putting on humanity. Coming to the earth. And you know what else he does? Sometimes because he loves you. He removes those things you're hiding behind. He takes them out. He pulls them away. He's doing some of that for you tonight. If we can help you, if we can come alongside you, if you want to begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, the one who came here 2018 years ago, we'd love to talk to you. There'll be a, a bunch of people up here in some porch shirts. They'd love to pray with you, hear your story talk more and you just come right up here we also have open community group tonight and so if you know that you don't have relationships with other Christians guys you walk down this hallway and girls you walk down this hallway and right outside those hallways there's rooms full of other people that are just looking to hear more about this idea of community I'd encourage you to do that next just go right in there and they would love to, to chat with you and then lastly I'll just end how we started Please, every one of you, I'm talking to you. If you're like, I wonder if he's talking to me, I'm talking to you. W would you check out Awaken.Live? We're not trying to sell tickets. We're trying to change the world for the cause of Jesus. And we think he's letting us. How about that? We think he's allowing us to. And we want you to be a part of it. Just go to Awaken.Live. You can see more information there. But it's, it's going to be the thing that I don't want you to miss out on. Okay? I love you guys. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Have a Merry Christmas.